Right now it's 732 on KXRY Portland. Carl Wolfson along with Ryan Stroyer. Thanks for joining us today, and thanks to Oregon State Rep. Alyssa Kenny-Geyer, who's on the line. She is the representative for House District 46, parts of Southeast and Northeast Portland. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi, thank you, Carl. Great to be here. Good to have you with us. And uh, Alyssa, we want to talk about uh, housing a little bit because uh, this is, uh, as anyone who's listened to this show for five minutes knows, this is a huge uh, issue in Portland and other cities around the country. Um, I thought we would review some of the bills, including uh, House Bill 4001. You are co-chief sponsor uh, with Tina Kotek, Diane Rosenblum, and Michael Dembro. This seems to be uh, the big bill here. Uh, run through it, please. Yeah, this is, well, first of all, we, as you know, we have a huge crisis, and we had a fabulous town hall on January 9th where 15 of my colleagues came and listened to uh, 27 people who were lined up to give all different aspects of the housing crisis, and we had over 300 people pack the room. So it is a big focus in a short session, and we have a number of different bills. Uh, the bill that I'm a chief sponsor of 4001 includes both the inclusionary zoning piece that we've tried mm-hmm. for three different sessions to pass, and it includes some really basic tenant protections, not anywhere near as much as tenants wanted, but as much as we thought could um, have a reasonable chance of passing in the short session. Mm-hmm. Let's go through so, some of those protections. Uh, those are important. Yeah, so uh, five different basic protections we're suggesting. Two have to do with rent increases. One would be not having a rent increase in the first year. Many landlords already do this. They offer a one-year lease. But mm-hmm. in this really hot market, uh, there is a little bit of a shift going to more month-to-month um, because there are landlords who recognize it's a hot market and they are choosing to give an increase after three months, six months, nine months. And it's really hard on people who have looked at their pay stub, figured out what they can pay, look on Craigslist, get a place, and then all of a sudden the rug gets taken out from under them. So by no means are all landlords doing this. There are many great landlords out there, but we really want to curb the practice of of people who are doing this. Second one is under any circumstance after the first year on a month-to-month landlords really should give renters three months notice. It's very hard if you increase the rent by $100, $200 a month when people's uh, salary is not going up that much to be able to suddenly absorb that in one month. So we think 90 days notification, which is what the city of Portland did um, in its emergency declaration, is best practice. It's fair. It's, it's not rent control. People can still, landlords can still um, request the rent they want, but they're at least giving people adequate notice. Mm-hmm. So those are the two rental ones, and then there are two um, cause, no cause. Uh, there are there are a couple states, and there are many cities that say we shouldn't have no cause notices at all. People should uh, landlords should have a cause uh, to to have tenants leave if the tenants break the lease or anything like that. So our current rule is that you uh, a landlord can offer a no cause notice termination of rent. Uh, within 30 after 30 days and I actually think that's that's fair it gives everyone a chance to see whether that arrangement works out but the current law is that after the first year uh, they would have to give 60 days we're just extending that to 90 days mm-hmm. saying in this particular market if you're not going to use a cause eviction where where um, we have a due process if you're going to just for no reason put a no cause out then at least give people 90 days the um, fourth protection is uh, asking landlords who do use no cause to help with relocation expenses. 
it's very, very expensive for people to um, move. You have application fees. You have to put down first month, last month, and deposit. So it's very, very hard for low-income people who have just gotten given a no-cause notice to find that kind of money. There's always relocation. There's always double rent. You know, it's very hard to move out on January 31st and then be in your next place on February 1st. You know, you'd be overnight with all your things. And obviously, if you're in a household with children, it's, you, you can't do that. Um, uh, then the last one is uh, retaliation. We're trying to get on top of retaliation. There is a best practice called presumptive retaliation where after, within a six-month period of, of a landlord, of a tenant asking for certain maintenance like even mold or a broken toilet, that if the landlord chooses to do a no-cause no notice within that period, then and if the tenant decides to take the landlord to court, the court looks at it like, okay, landlord, you know, show me that it's not the case that you're being retaliatory, that you're either giving a no cause or increasing rent or deliberately not fixing things. You know, show us that it's not retaliatory because we've heard the practice of retaliation is going up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the five different measures that are on the table. Uh, the relocation is, is too big of an issue, and that is now we're taking that off the table, and we're really just debating now um, which of the other four ones we can go forward with in a, okay. in a very short session. Let me do a quick um, um, guest ID here. Alyssa Kenny Geyer with us, Oregon State Rep, House District 46. We were talking about uh, House Bill 4001. And uh, Alyssa Kenny Guy, one of the co-chief sponsors of this bill, you mentioned inclusionary zoning as part of this, one of the tools that cities can use. Um, in the past, uh, it's been understood that uh, the the building industry or the real estate industry uh, has killed uh, lifting of this IZ preemption. Um, are you optimistic this time that it can get through as part of House Bill four thousand one? I am optimistic it can get through. You know, 4001 is one vehicle. There's also um, a couple different vehicles on the Senate side. The House did pass it in the past, and so we've always preferred for it to start off um, to pass the Senate side first because we're very confident about it passing again on the House. I had in 4001 just to provide an additional vehicle in case things get stalled over there, but mm -hmm. I think things are moving. Um, as you know, Texas and Oregon are the only places that ban local government from being able to use this tool. And this tool is really important because what it says is in any um, any development of multi-family units, so that's either a big development of single-family homes or an apartment of multi-family homes, that um, developers would need to set aside a certain percent, say 20% of that, if there's many, many units, 20% for affordable housing. And what's really important about it is that when you look at Oregon and when you look at Portland right now, we've been building thousands since the um, since the recession ended. We're trying to catch up with the, the gap in supply and demand. And we're building thousands, but 85% of them are luxury, and mm -hmm. only 3% right. of them are affordable. Right. So people are being pushed farther and farther away from their schools, their jobs, um, all of their communities, their congregations, their places of worship, and um, it's real. It, the displacement is enormously um, impactful on all of our communities. We're really losing a lot of the heart and soul of people right, who have been able right. to live here for a long time. Right. And I love, Alyssa, so, that yeah, you, I, you, you talk about that component of it because generally it's talked in terms of affordability and you know financial pressure, but displacing communities with the psychological and sociological f effects that that entails is almost equally as important. 
That's exactly right. And we, you know, we know that um, schools, childcare, businesses, you know, communities uh, thrive much more when you have mixed income in those communities and you don't segregate them into the haves and the inner city and the have-nots outside. Mm-hmm. Kids who are low income from low-income families, and they show this in Montgomery, Maryland, which is where IV was first used 40 years ago. It's been in place for 40 years. Yeah. They've been able with this tool to have more mixed-income mixed neighborhoods. So kids in low-income schools who go to the mixed-income schools in that community do far better academically than similar low-income uh, kids who go to low-income schools. So this has just been shown over mm-hmm. and over again. You know, same with businesses. If you have um, communities that have very little income, then you don't have vibrant businesses, you have food deserts, whereas in mixed-income communities, people have way more access to businesses that can thrive. Alyssa Kenny Geyer with us, and Alyssa, part of uh, House Bill 4001, as I'm looking at it, another tool that would be included here is to allow local governments to declare a state of emergency and waive those building and zoning code requirements uh, to place temporary housing. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to go forward with that. That's not? something okay. where I wanted to provide maximum security, maximum flexibility for cities like Eugene and Portland that declared emergency. So IZ is your and your big your your, your big uh, preemption yeah, lifting there. It's just we need more time to work out that piece, which okay. are the building codes and zones that we would need to do. I will say there's a couple, there's a few other bills out there having to do with housing. Sure. One of them is a general assistance program, which we used to have for many many years until 2003. General assistance fronts the money, DHS fronts the money to people who uh, have disabilities, clearly have disabilities, either they've come on as a result of a car accident or something like that, mm-hmm. or they may be chronic disabilities like mental health, and they are eligible for federal SSI, SSDI benefits, but um, it takes a long time to apply for that. You need help, case management, it's a complicated bureaucratic system, and, and when you do apply, it often takes about two years up to two years to get that back. So general assistance fronts the money. We we ended up out of you know a financial crisis, not closing that program in 2003. We tried to resurrect it last year, didn't get it through, and now with the housing crisis being so big, we are trying again, and we're directing it toward homeless people with disabilities, um, and tapping it at 200 people at any one time. Mm-hmm. But uh, really excited that there's a lot of momentum. We had a great hearing about that yesterday. Um, we have a number of other financial requests, $17.5 million to preserve affordable housing. You know, in the whole... The these whole these are budget of, requests, right? Budget these requests. These are budget requests, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So $17.5 million to preserve. You know, these are uh, buildings that have had HUD contracts for many, many years, and after 30 years, when a contract expires, often a property manager will then, you know, sell the property or upgrade it and change it into kind of higher-end apartments. So this... Um, allows housing authorities or nonprofits to uh, and helps them buy the building or renovate the building and be able to continue providing affordable housing. And that's really important for the people in that housing because it's not just a roof over their head, it's a community. You know, many have been there for decades. Right. Um, I just visited last week one on 15th and Hawthorne, and uh, the, the, the residents were so grateful because... Um, because a nonprofit had bought it, and they were able to, you know, stay there. In effect, renovations were being done. Um, so that's another one. Okay. We have a ten million dollar request for emergency housing assistance and shelter housing assistance. We had put money in the budget last year, and because of the incredible crisis, uh, we most of the counties have run out of that money. 
and uh, we're trying. We're asking for ten million to just mm-hmm. help people last through the next year. Uh, Alyssa, before you go, uh, Oregon State Rep. Alyssa Kenny Geyer with us, uh, and and thanks for running down what's now in House Bill four thousand one. The additional budget requests as we deal with the housing crisis. Um, the the overall frame, though, obviously, is we have to reduce uh, income inequality and uh, minimum wage increases high on the list of things we can do, increase the minimum wage uh, to give people more economic uh, power. Uh, have you come down on uh, one particular plan for a minimum wage hike that, that uh, you have latched on to? Yeah, I, well, I support the governor's compromise. Okay. There may be tweaks I mm-hmm. might as like anyone would do to it, but that's the issue. Everyone has different tweaks they would do. And I think that um, I'm grateful for the ballot measures that are out there because when there are ballot measures that have a lot of popular support, they really force the legislature yeah. to deal and to consider all the different interests mm-hmm. and to have, you know, build in the nuances that are harder to do in a in a ballot measure. So. Right. Um, I support, while I support, I'm very happy that the ballot measures are on the ballot. I think that the governor's path is a very reasonable path. Um, It it gives six years to get up to, uh, you know, a a more reasonable minimum wage, although I will say it's still not a livable wage. You know, I I think it's trying to take into account the gradual nature with which uh, businesses need to adopt to this, but we are we're still short of what it takes to live, particularly in high-cost places like Portland. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, uh, forgive me, the proposal, the, the governor's proposal, does include indexing um, uh, after it a certain point? It does include indexing. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it, it goes up more dramatically than the consumer price index over a six-year period, right. so anywhere from 50 cents to a dollar increase per year. And then uh, after the year six, and it's, I think it's 2002, then it would still index and go up, as it does now, mm-hmm. um, by the Consumer Price Index. Uh-huh. The other piece that it does, which mm-hmm. is significant, and, and um, is that it, ha- it divides the state into two regions. It, it has a floor uh, increase for across the state, but it allows a greater increase in the Portland metro area in recognition of our, our higher cost of living. Alyssa, while we have you be, uh, beyond uh, the housing crisis and homelessness and minimum wage increase, give us a third thing that you were focused on in the session. Uh, yes, I'm also, and this is related to both housing and uh, minimum wage. I, my, we're only allowed two personal bills, and mm-hmm. my other bill is in, has to do with their earned income tax credit. So this is something that actually gets a lot of bipartisan support. Uh, this is when when Oregonians earn income, right now we still tax them at at, um, at the state and federal level, and the earned income tax credit returns a portion of that tax to hardworking, low-income Oregonians. So there are two bills that I'm working on. One, I'm, uh, both with Representative Jeff Reardon. One of them is to increase the state um, portion of the earned income tax credit, and we're asking for $10 million to do that and directing it toward families with young children who often are the ones that that uh, really struggle the most, particularly when people, uh, women in particular, stay home and help take care of that child. They're not able to, to tap into the child care tax credits in those first few weeks or months of staying home and bonding with a baby, and yet they have a big drop in their income. So it's really, really important for those families. And secondly, the other bill, which we just heard in my Human Services Committee yesterday, was to increase utilization of the EITC because mm-hmm. Oregon is 50th out of 50 states in um, people that 
are eligible for EITC, but either don't file or file and don't claim it. Fantastic. So those are big uh, things that we're uh, not fantastic that we're fiftieth, but uh, fantastic yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. on the issue. <laughs> you know, how, how often do you get those lists? By the way, Alyssa, as a state rep, and oh my God, we're we're twenty ninth, or we're fiftieth, or we're first. Uh, do those lists get too passed often. around too often? <laughs> too often. Yep. Yep. Alyssa, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, Alyssa Kenny Geyer, House Carl. District Forty Six. Thanks so much. We're going to be okay, right back bye. on Carl in the morning. Five zero three two three three X Ray. I love the lists, but I. I guess people get very tired of them, Um, especially people with responsibility for uh, turning maybe bad list positions into legislation. We'll be right back. (laughs) 